Let's look at Joshua chapter 6. This is one of the most famous Bible stories in Scripture. All of us from a young age have heard this story and probably read this story and told this story. And it's powerful. And, and I, I want us to just embrace it once again and let the Lord just speak to us today through this great historical truth of what God did in intervening in the lives of his people. Read along with me this morning. Let's begin with verse 1 in chapter 6. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city. All you men of war, you shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priest shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a, a long blast with the ram's horn. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. Then the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up every man straight before him. Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city, and let him who is armed advance before the ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard came after the ark, while the priest continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the, the Lord circle the city, going around it once, then they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then seven priests, bearing seven trumpets of the ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. That's interesting. Continual praise. And the, the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days. But it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early, about the dawning of the day, and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened, when the priests blew the trumpets, that Joshua said to the people, Shout! For the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you, by all means, abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed. When you take 
of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets. And it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet. And the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. How many like that? Amen. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and donkey, with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said to the two men who had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house, and from there bring out the woman and all, the, all she, that she has, as you swore to her. And the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that she had. So they brought out all her relatives and left them outside of the camp of Israel. But they burned the city and all that was in it with fire. Only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron that they, had, had, that they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua spared Rahab the harlot, her father's household, and all that she had. So she dwells in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Then Joshua charged them at that time saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord who who rises up the building, builds this city Jericho. He shall lay its foundation with his firstborn and with his youngest he shall set up its gates. I want to stop right there. That came to pass. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 34. The man that rebuilt Jericho paid the ultimate price. So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout all the country. Lord, bless your word today to our hearts. Let us realize today, Lord, that it's not just a historical account. It's not just a story. Lord, it is not a fable, it is not make-believe, but it's the Word of the living God that teaches us and, and, Lord, gives us insight, Lord, as to how to face our own battles, our own walled cities, and to see the cities fall. Lord, just bless us today as we study Your Word in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. How many love that story? I remember as a kid in, 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 in the growing up in children's church, and we had songs about Jericho, you know, and we'd sing those songs about Jericho and Joshua and the battle of Jericho. You know, these stories in Scripture, we love them, they're powerful. The stories just like this or the crossing of the Red Sea, the stories of Noah and the ark, the stories that we see with Daniel in the lion's den and the three Hebrew children. We see in the New Testament great stories as well. We see Jesus opening the eyes of the blind and opening the deaf ears. We see Jesus saying, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus, who'd been dead three days, coming out with the grave clothes wrapped around him. We see Jesus' tender love and compassion and and, and ministering to people. And and we just, we love those stories, amen? But I want you to know today, they're not just history. They're not just entertainment. 
The stories like this in God's Word are there to encourage you and to tell you not that, oh, God did awesome things in the past. It's not so that you'll say, well, God, boy, He intervened and He did tremendous, mighty works in, in, in ancient times. That's not what God's trying to get through to us. The message there is, church, is that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same God that brought down the walls of Jericho will bring down the walls that you and I face in life. He's the same God with the same power. He wants to intervene in your life. He is still a miracle-working Savior and Lord. Amen? So when we read these stories, we don't just read them and say, well, that was nice for back then. We say, that's my God and he'll do it again. And he'll do it again. And he still has a heart that wants to take cities. Amen? He still wants us. He, just as Joshua was called to take the city of Jericho, church, you and I are called to take this city for Jesus. We are. Every one of us, we're called. And I want to ask you, do you pray for our city? Do you pray for God to move? Do you pray for people to, to come to know Christ as Lord and Savior in the valley? We should because that's what God's called us to do. Amen? 1 Corinthians reinforces this. Chapter 10, verse 11. It says, now all these things happen to them as examples. I read this all the time, but I'm going to continue to read it because I want it to, to stick into your heart. It says, And they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The closer we draw to the return of the Lord, the more we're going to need to understand what God is teaching through the examples of, of His people in the Old Testament. Because there's messages there for us. These stories are powerful and they're true. Now when you talk about Jericho, there's three main questions that arise that people really struggle with. First of all, is Jericho real? Is it, did it exist? And the, the answer is yes, you can go to Jericho today. It is believed by the scientists and archaeological digs that they've discovered all the the things that Jericho is probably the oldest continual city in existence. It dates back thousands of years. And they've, they've gone through the digs and they've discovered 25 different settlements where that something would come in or an enemy would come in and destroy the city and then they would rebuild. And it went, they've done that 25 different times according to the, the digs that they have discovered in that area. But something is very interesting when you think about the reality of this historical site. There's an archaeologist named John Garstang. And he studied Jericho extensively. And he found all kinds of ancient Egyptian scarabs and the the ruler of the of the Egyptian dynasty at that time would have his in uh, cartouche and it would date when those were made 
And something he found that was very interesting was the fact that from the period no later than Amenhotep III, which was about, his reign was about 1412 to 1376 B.C., there were no Egyptian scarabs that dated any later than that. In other words, at that point, all commerce ceased. And there was total destruction of the, of the nation, of that city nation. That's the only thing that explains that there weren't later Egyptian scarabs found. It was stopped. All the commerce. So that reinforces the fact that there was total destruction in Jericho at this time. And it if God met Joshua and showed him the strategy and the, to, to, to be a conqueror in that city, church, I want you to know God will show us strategies to win our city for Jesus. The second question, if it truly exists, can we believe in its utter destruction? Some people say, oh, that's just ridiculous. But what's interesting is that Jericho is actually located in one of the most seismic active places in the, in the entire world. You say, well, pastor, are you just saying it was an accident? There just happened to be a, or an earthquake and it brought down the destruction of the, the walls? No, that's not what I'm saying. It was still been a miracle because God said, this is the time, I want you to march. And when they shouted, that's the instant that they fell. So I'm not trying to discount the miracle of it, but I'm saying it's very easy to believe because this area does suffer from great uh, turmoil uh, with the earthquakes. Now the third thing, and this is probably the most difficult, if they destroyed Jericho, how can we reconcile a God who is love with the total annihilation of all the people in that city and all their things? And I want to stop there for a moment because before we begin to judge God, I want you to think about that. This city nation of Jericho was one of the most perverse in all of history. They regularly sacrificed their children in worship to their gods. Child abuse was rampant. Immorality and perversion were rampant. In fact, everything that they did involved in their culture, we would today group it and call it Satanism. That's how perverse they were. And, and it's interesting to note that in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, God was speaking to Abraham and he said this, he said, but in the fourth generation, they, Israel, shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. I want you to think about that. God gave that nation, not just hundreds of years, but thousands of years to turn to Christ, to turn to God, to make a covenant with the true and the living God. And they continued in their... Uh, evil and perverse ways and they continued year after year after year until God gave 
gave them a point. He said, when they reach this point and their iniquity has built up to this place, then my people are going to come in and I'm going to have to deal with them. Why? Why did God need to deal with them before his people entered into the, into the city, into that land? Because bad company corrupts good morals. That's what scripture says. Even though God had told them not to intermarry, there would have been some that would have saw some, some beautiful wives or, or, or husbands and they would have intermarried. In the culture, we see it. How even it, it destroyed Solomon and his, when he began to gain all these wives from other nations and they brought in their idolatrous practices that it began to corrupt him and destroy him. The same thing would have happened to God's people. And it's just like a cancer church. When, when you find out you've got cancer, the surgeons want to go and cut out that cancer and remove it so that it doesn't continue to grow and infect the rest of the body. Amen? So we, we shouldn't judge God. And as I thought about this this week, it stirred my heart to the fact that God is a God of love. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is the heart of God. But God does have to deal with sin. He is a holy God, a righteous God. And, and so many times, church, we want to think that our sin doesn't matter. And that's what I'm afraid of because our nation doesn't think that sin matters. Where they're legislating in the Supreme Court sinful acts. That it's, it's righteous and it's okay. And our nation is headed for a day when God has no choice but to judge our nation. But church, there is an answer for that. Instead of ending up with the judgment of God like Jericho, the people of Christ, the church can rise up and we can begin to pray and we can begin to tell people about the Lord and we can take our city for Jesus. We can have a mighty move of God. And the church needs to realize that. We can't sit back and just say, well, our sin really doesn't matter. We've, we've gone years and years and years now where we're murdering like 350,000 of our children a year in our mother's womb. We're glorifying sin and we're, we're, are, we're allowing our culture to come against Christ and against his church. The only hope we have to avoid the judgment of God, and some would even say we're experiencing some of that judgment now. We're having earth, earthquakes in diverse places. We're having fires that are raging through communities. We're having hurricanes and floods. And if it isn't God, it's a good opportunity for the church to say, hey, we don't want to see our nation destroyed. We want to see God redeem a nation. And church, I get a lot of flack for that. I have pastors that will write me messages and, and say, you know that what the Bible says about the end times and it says, you know, all these things are going to take place and and, you know, you need to quit talking about revival. I don't see that in Scripture. The Bible I read says I'm to be about my father's business. And my father's business is, is going forth and sharing the love of Jesus and telling people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'm not going to stop. 
I'm not going to stop praying for our nation because I love our nation. I'm not going to stop telling people that Jesus loves them. Yes, things are going to get bad, but also the Bible says in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, upon your sons and your daughters, and they'll prophesy, amen? So, so there, yes, bad things are going to happen. The evil's rising, but guess what? The light of God is still going to be manifested in these last days. There's going to be miracles and signs and wonders. And that's the kind of church I want to be. And that's a whole side note, and I shouldn't have got off on that. But I want to be a, a church that says, God, I want to take my city and present it to you. And I believe God for great things. If, if he is this miracle-working God in Scripture, he is still a miracle-working God today. And my God can save the valley. My God can bring revival to Alaska. My God can bring revival to the United States of America once again. I'm going to start preaching in a minute. I want you to think about Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. She ran a brothel. God, in fact, demonstrates his love in the fact that she is in the lineage of Jesus in the New Testament. She came under the covenant of God. When she hid the spies and protected them, they said, put this red cord in your window and we're not going to attack you or your family, whoever's with you. Now I want to present something to you. That is God's heart. The nation of Jericho could have followed suit. They, what what would have happened if the walls had fa fallen and everyone in that city nation was holding a red cord or had a red cord in their window saying, we're going to serve the living God. We're going to be on your team. What do you think would have happened? I think the entire nation would have been welcomed and embraced by Joshua and they would have been gathered in to people who serve the Lord. But God knew they had reached that point where, where the, the generation after generation was saying no to the things of God and becoming more evil and more corrupt and more perverse. And so God said, we've got to remove this cancer. The second thing I want us to see is in Joshua chapter 15, or chapter 5, verse 13 is what I meant. Mitch preached about it last week. Joshua was looking at Jericho and he was trying to figure out the best way to attack the city. It says he was down, he was probably drawing out plans in the dirt and, and all of a sudden the captain of the army of the Lord is there. It's, it's pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. And he is there and he looks up and, and what does he do? In, 
instead of looking down and looking at the problem, he probably thought this is impossible because those walls were 30 feet high and 20 feet thick. In human terms, it would have been an impossible fortress for them to conquer with, with the, the limited weapons that they had. But then he gets his eyes on Jesus. <laughs> Church, if you're facing an impossible situation, if you're facing walls that seem 30 feet high and 20 feet thick and they're surrounding what you need to go forward into, guess what? Get your eyes off of the problem. Quit trying to strategize yourself. Get your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. And then listen to what he says. I love love the fact that Joshua... He gets his eyes on the Lord and he begins to worship. He's not focusing on on what they are up against. He's basically just saying, Lord, I'm on your side. And that's what we need to do, church. In these battles of life where we face these great walls that seem like they've blocked everything that that we've got to get on the other side. We need to get on the other side. Guess what? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be obedient to his word. Keep praising and worshiping him. Just live a life that's on his side. And he will give you the strategy to take your city for Jesus. Do you believe that today? In Joshua chapter 6 verse 2, notice this. And the Lord said to Joshua, see I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. God says, I'm going to do a miracle for you, but look at what he says right after that. You shall march. He was calling them to partner with him in a miracle. Partner in a miracle. I love that. How many want to partner in a miracle with God? He calls us to partner with him in miracles. He says, the miracle's mine, but I want you to do exactly what I tell you to do. Notice in the passage how many times it uses the number seven. The number seven is God's number of perfection and completion. God was telling them, you need to follow my instructions perfectly, and I'm going to bring a miracle. Church, if you want a miracle in your life, you can partner with God in a miracle, but you better make sure you're listening to Him, following Him, keeping your eyes on Him, all the while you're praising Him. And He's going to give you the strategy to see those walls come down. This is such a powerful truth, because so many times we just pray for a miracle, and then we just sit back and say, okay, God, you're the miracle worker. And he says, no, I want you to march. You march. We we continue to go forward. We continue to live the life that he's called us to live. A life where we're studying his word, reading his word, living his word. A life where our life is filled with praise. A life where we're keeping our eyes on him and saying, I'm on your side, Lord. I'm on your side. In Psalm chapter 34, verse 1, it it gives a description basically of what they're doing in this situation, the priest. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. 
His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And notice in our text, in chapter 6, verse 12, towards the end, it says, The Lord went on continually, or or the, the seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, before the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord, while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. There was an atmosphere of continual praise that was taking place. If you're in the midst of a battle, church, you need to constantly be in a state of praise. I've shared it many times, but when I first went to Wrangell years ago, the church had been hurting, and you'd walk in, and there was just a a heaviness in the church. And different ones were commenting about it. And the Lord just stirred my heart. And and we had a little CD player, and, and it was up in the sound booth. And I I got a praise and worship CD and I put it in there and I put it on repeat. And I let it play until the CD player broke. There was 24 hours a day praise and worship in that sanctuary over and over and over. And we kept praying and we kept worshiping in our services, but when we weren't in our services, that, that CD player was on and it was going and we were filling the, the house with praise. If you're in the midst of the battle, I encourage you, do the same thing at home. Do the same thing at home. In fact, I had a couple that was having marital problems and arguing a lot and I said, have you ever thought about putting praise and worship on in the CD player and just letting it fill your home? They said, no. I said, try that. You'll be amazed. It's hard to fight when in the background there's a chorus worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, giving Him praise and glory and honor. Amen? So fill, fill your car with praise. Fill your house, house with praise. Fill your life with praise. Just like I love the fact, the trumpets. Um, actually, I have one right here. Stand up and show everybody. That, that's, that's what it was. This was, the, this was the ram's horn, trumpets. It's the oldest instrument in the world. Think you can blow it for us, brother? Try it. Do it again. Good job, good job. That's what they were hearing. They were hearing the the sound of the trumpets. In verse 10 in our text, it says, Now Joshua had commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout, then you shall shout. Now this seems strange. But let me tell you, as a pastor, it makes perfect sense. Because the people marching around seven days, there would have been somebody that would have started murmuring. Why are we doing this? This isn't fighting. This isn't a battle. I came to fight, not to march. What kind of commander do we have in Joshua? This is just nuts. 
You know, we hear a lot about positive confession today, don't we? About as Christians, we should speak life and not death and, and, and speak positive things. Let me tell you, positive confession begins by keeping your mouth shut when you're going to say something that's evil. He wasn't going to let them say anything of doubt. He wasn't going to let them say anything of fear. He wasn't going to let them say anything that would be murmuring and complaining. They were just going to march. Amen. So next time you're in a battle, don't begin to say, Oh, why me, Lord? What did I ever do? Don't, don't, next time you're in a battle, don't start murmuring and complaining like Israel. Because every time they just murmured and complained, they didn't learn the lesson. And what happened? God said, take another lap around the mountain. <laughs> so they spent 40 years going around the mountain because they didn't learn that lesson. I learned that lesson. I'm not going to speak things negative. I'm going to speak life. I'm going to speak positive. I'm going to speak, my God's got it under control. Amen. And I'm going to partner with him to see the city walls fall. I love it. And the fact he said, now when I tell you to speak, it's going to be a shout. And, and you know, sometimes the church fails in this. Sometimes we're too worried about being prim and proper, having church etiquette. You know, I'm afraid somebody might be offended. I'm afraid somebody might be, just think I'm weird or something. Church, there's times you need to shout the walls down. And it's a shout of victory. It's a shout of triumph. It's a shout of my God is the true and the living God. And this battle belongs to him. And I'm on his side. Hallelujah. Don't be afraid to shout. If God raises up a shout in your heart, let it go. <laughs> Scripture says, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Amen? Now, I don't know about you, but I've got a relationship with my God. I know that he likes me to shout. I'm not ashamed. I can go through Scripture, and there's a lot of things in worship that most of us struggle with. You know, sometimes it's raising our hands. It's scriptural. God's Word tells us, lift up holy hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. There's other things. It tells us to dance before the Lord. So there's times I want to do my happy dance for Jesus. <laughs> Amen? And there's times that I'm going to shout the enemy down. There's times that I'm going to believe God that, that I'm going to shout and those walls are going to come down. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I'm going to close today. The church, I want to challenge you today to believe that the God that brought down the walls of Jericho, and I love this fact. Did you notice in the text when we read it it said that when the walls fell, they fell flat and that every man went straight. Now, 
I don't care if God did use an earthquake, that's still a miracle. If the walls were 30 feet high and 20 feet wide, even if an earthquake shook them and they crumbled, there would have been a huge mound that would have been very difficult for them to cross over. But God says that they fell down flat and that the men went straight. In church, God wants to take down the walls that are hindering you today. And He wants you to be able to walk straight. Let's stand.